This is Bigger Pockets Daily, where you learn how to invest in real estate 365 days a year. I'm your host, Tyler. The following article comes from the blog at biggerpockets.com, but you can't read the blog when you're commuting to work or getting your Airbnb ready for your next guest. Okay, almost time for the show. We'll get right into it after this quick break. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Rental property damage versus normal wear and tear. How to tell the difference by Steve Rosenberg. It's a familiar story. Tenant moves out. Owners get upset at what they see as damage to their property. Tenant gets just as angry, believing the damage is simply average wear and tear. The fight is on. Dealing with damage to a rental property when a resident moves out can be a very stressful situation, not to mention a huge undertaking. In order to be successful as a landlord, it is imperative that you have a good understanding of what is wear and tear and what is damage. In this article, I would like to explore not only the differences between the two, but also the steps you can take as a landlord that will help streamline the move-in, move-out process for you with as little stress as possible. What is normal wear and tear in a property? Deterioration that results from the intended use of a dwelling, including breakage or malfunction due to age or deteriorated condition. Normal wear and tear is the expected decline in the condition of a property due to normal everyday use. It is deterioration that occurs in the course of living in a property, and it is not caused by abuse or neglect. Examples of normal wear and tear might include a couple of small stains on a carpet, a couple of scrapes or dings in a wood floor, color of carpet or hardwood fading due to exposure to sunlight, 
dirty grout, loose door handles, silver finish on bathroom fixtures beginning to wear away, dustiness, dirty blinds, small pinholes in the wall, unless they are excessive, worn-out batteries and smoke and carbon monoxide detectors, fading curtains, paint, or wallpaper due to age or sun exposure, broken light bulbs, normal wear and tear in carpets, plumbing issues arising from normal use. Understand that expenses related to normal wear and tear cannot be deducted from your security deposit. The next question you need to ask yourself is what is not normal wear and tear? This would be damage caused by neglect, misuse, or excessive force and can fall outside the definition of normal wear and tear. What is damage in a property? Damage is not naturally occurring. It is harm that affects the value, usefulness, or normal function of property. This damage can be committed on purpose or through neglect. Examples of damage might include a smashed bathroom mirror, a broken toilet seat, a hole in the middle of a door, damaged or missing door handles, locks, carpet soaked with pet urine, numerous or sizable holes in the wall, appliances broken as a result of misuse, unapproved paint on the walls, excessive dirtiness in bathroom or kitchen, pest infestation, broken doors or disabled locks, pet stains, burns, or holes in carpet. Damage can be further defined as issues that are unexpected. For example, it is not normal or expected for there to be a large hole in a bedroom wall after a resident moves out of a unit. And like everything in life, there are other factors that must be taken into account when deciding how much normal wear and tear and how much actual damage is being done by a resident. An example of this would be the length of tenancy. If a resident stays in a house for four years, there will be more wear and tear than if they only stay for one year. Life expectancy of the item should also be taken into consideration. In this instance, think about flooring. Ceramic tile flooring would have a much longer life expectancy than carpet, etc. How to avoid disputes. In order to make the rental process largely headache-free, here are some things that a landlord must always remember. Security deposit. The landlord should collect and hold a security deposit from each tenant. This is not the landlord's money, however. This money is still the tenant's money that is being held in lieu of the tenant not performing per the lease agreement. Many landlords think they can spend that money or use it as a reimbursement to themselves as soon as they get it from the tenant. That money is legally still the tenant's. The landlord is simply holding it in case of any damages. That mental shift is a large part of why these challenges happen. The security deposit disposition is the payout that the tenant receives after moving out minus the amount that is deducted for a specified reason. This normally causes disputes between both parties, landlord and resident, regarding perceived damage to the rental property upon move-out and what was expected to be returned to both parties. The security deposit disposition is the number one reason that landlords get sued. It is important to remember that different geographic locations and states have their own rules and regulations as to how much can or cannot be deducted, as well as the time frame as to when the security deposit must be returned back to the resident. For example, in Houston, Texas, you have exactly 30 days postmarked to get the remaining security deposit back to the resident or you're liable for three times the amount. 
The challenge with the security deposit issue is that often neither party really has any type of system or formula to determine how much of the security deposit they will or will not be returned. Quite often, this is an assumptive prediction based on the perceived level of wear and tear versus damage that's done to the property. Frequently, the amount that is deducted from the security deposit is determined by how much work the landlord must personally have to do to get the property rent ready or their opinion as to how badly the property was damaged. As a landlord, you must take into account the fact that there are rules, regulations, and laws that protect both parties in determining this amount. Who is responsible? That is the burning question. The best way to know who should pay for the repairs is with documentation. This turns the issue into a fact and not an opinion about the property's condition. First, document the condition of the house before the resident moves in. Do this with date-stamped photographs and video. Expect disputes regardless, but have the proof to back your charges. Move in and move out walkthrough inspections. Doing an initial walkthrough with the resident is one way to avoid disputes regarding wear and tear versus damage. A landlord and new resident should walk through a property prior to the resident moving in. Pictures and videos should be taken so that this can be used as a baseline, meaning there is no relying on memory a few years down the track when the resident moves out. <laughs> I also suggest adding a checklist to your lease agreement of all rooms, appliances, fixtures, etc., where residents should note the condition upon move-in. When the resident is moving out of the rental unit, the landlord and resident should again walk the, through the property to document any damages to its condition. Again, record everything with both pictures and video so that there is no misinterpretation of what is or is not damaged or worn. The landlord can point out any issues he has with the current condition of the property and explain why he will be taking deductions from the resident's security deposit to cover those damages. He can use the initial set of pictures and video to further justify his position. The resident can agree with this or dispute the landlord's findings. Expectation meetings. I have always felt it far more productive to have expectation meetings with your resident prior to moving in than to have to handle it post-move-out. Why give them the opportunity to claim this was never discussed with them, this being the upkeep of the property? One suggestion is to set price points before the resident moves in of possible costs of items that are damaged. Putting this into the lease agreement, which both parties are aware of up front, is a good way to set a baseline expectation that you are serious about keeping the property in good shape. Upon the move-in and move-out walkthrough, both landlord and resident should sign the document acknowledging that they both agree with the current condition. Routine Inspections One of the best ways to avoid disputes is to ensure you carry out periodic inspections of your investment property to ensure it is being well cared for and routine repairs are being made. These inspections should address the following. The interior of the property is being maintained in a clean and tidy condition. The exterior of the property is being maintained in a clean and tidy condition. The property is not being damaged in any way. There are no more than the number of people or pets specified on the lease agreement living at the property. Lease Agreement When in doubt, always refer back to what is in writing and signed. This is commonly referred to as the lease agreement, 
What is stated in this agreement is really what will prove or disprove your case in a court of law. You cannot dictate what you think or feel is the right way to get the property returned back to you when the resident leaves, or what you think is a fair amount of compensation in retrospect. The more clearly it is defined in writing in the beginning, the easier things will be when it is time to discuss and address the situation. As I stated earlier, pictures are potentially worth thousands in words. The key is to have documentation of the condition of the property in detail prior to the resident moving in. And then they should be documented equally as detailed at the time of move out. Without this, be prepared to give the deposit back. You don't stand a chance in court. And if you lose, you might have to pay far more than the deposit in the end. In conclusion, newer investors or maybe people who are emotionally attached to their properties tend to have a very hard time making these black and white calls. It could be because of their attachment to the property and or because they failed to set the standard of what is acceptable and what is not in writing prior to move in. Many times it becomes an emotional decision, not a mathematical or business one. I personally have never seen anyone who is upset make an emotional decision and later on tell me it was the right one. They were happy. They reacted that way. <laughs> Remember, this is a business. It needs to be treated as such. You will not always have all the answers. However, as things arise, you will be able to create standards for situations that will come up during your investing career. Pretty soon, you will see all possible scenarios, and you will use past experiences as lessons of what not to do again or what you can do better in the future. That's today's show. We'll see you tomorrow. But in the meantime, check out the Bigger Pockets bookstore at biggerpockets.com store. You can learn about flipping, rental properties, negotiating, note investing, brr, and more. Most titles are available as audiobooks too. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in 24 hours.